Let me begin once again, if you were with us last week, I have to say this again, I apologize, we have yet to fix our stage. Uh, you know, this cross just fell through the ceiling, we got the, the roof repaired because of all that rain this week, we didn't want a soggy stage, uh, but we haven't fixed the stage, and so we thought we would leave the cross for a little while longer. Now, we, we said last week, it would have been a lot more convenient had this sort of fallen through further back because we have been kind of having to tiptoe around this cross. We've been tripping over it all week and stumbling across it. And that is sort of the nature of the cross. You know, saying that the cross is simple or easy or that it is convenient is a contradiction in terms. You know, sometimes in our lives, the, the cross is, is an inconvenience. You know, if you're a Christian and you stand for the cross, uh, there's going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be people that don't like what you say, that don't like what you represent because you represent Christ. But for all people, the cross pushes into all of our lives, and we have to decide what do we do with the cross? What do we do with this person who walked this earth, who was at a certain point in history? What do we do with the person of Jesus? What do we do with this empty tomb? And so last Sunday, we started a, a series called Breakthrough, and we said this, that Jesus broke through time and space, and that he came and that he walked and lived among us, and that he was able to break through sin and sorrow and death, that his wrist, his feet, his side were broken through for our sins and our transgressions, that he died, Scripture says, in our place then he was put in a tomb and on the third day the day that we celebrate today he broke through the grave and that he offers us eternal life in him we can also break through sin and sorrow and death and so what we started last week was we we're looking at the lives of people where God has sort of broken into their lives, where they have these breakthrough moments. And so last Sunday, we looked at this story of the Apostle Peter, where he has breakfast with Jesus, and Christ just kind of breaks through his guilt and his shame and his fear, and maybe even a little bit of anger. And so today, we're going to look at an unexpected last-minute breakthrough in the life of a man whose name we don't even know. And that gives me pause, because, you know, sometimes we want to build a name ourselves but our true calling is to make a name for Jesus because he is great and we are called to make him famous and so today we learn something incredible from somebody whose name isn't even recorded in scripture but who points us to Jesus and so if you have your Bibles this morning we're going to be in the third gospel New Testament third gospel book of Luke and we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to start off in verse 26 because we don't have time to look at this whole chapter. It's a pretty long chapter. And today we're going to talk about the most vile, heinous, tragic day in history. But on the other side, it's also the most beautiful, good, true, and pure day in history. And friends, that is the paradox of the cross. Bruce Shelley says this, he says, Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. Let me say that again. Christianity is the only religion to have as its central event 
the humiliation of its God. And so we see in the cross this vile but beautiful thing all rolled into one picture. That is the breakthrough of the cross. And so that's what we reflect on today is what Jesus has done for us on the cross but also that we have life after death and you know and, and heaven isn't just something that's coming. If you're a believer, heaven is now. That we have this relationship with God that we are a part of his kingdom. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look at this last minute breakthrough and we're going to look at just the last hours in the life of Jesus. Luke 23 Beginning in verse 26, let's read it together. It says, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid him on the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Now, it says, as they led him away. Now, who is the they? Well, the they is this growing, swelling crowd who's watching this whole thing unfold. The they is the religious elite the Jewish religious elite who desires to see Jesus hanging on a cross. And so as Jesus carries his cross, which that was the norm, if you were going to be crucified, you carried your cross all the way to its destination. But we know that Jesus was severely beaten before he carried his cross. And so as he's making his way up the hill, they pluck one guy out of the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, Verse 27, to carry the cross of Jesus. 27 says, And there followed him a great multitude of people, of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. He says, for if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Jesus is saying this. He's saying, look at what Rome is doing to me. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, your day is coming as well. And this is prophetic. We know that in AD 70, Jerusalem would fall. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him and when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now this morning, if you're here and you're taking notes, this is our first thought. I want you to see the symbol of the cross. The symbol of the cross. Now, in our culture, the cross shows up in many, many different places. Sometimes it's on a piece of jewelry. Sometimes it's a wall ornament. Sometimes it's on t-shirts or it's used in art, whether for good or for bad. But the cross has always been a symbol of death. And in fact, crucifixion started somewhere around uh, the 6th century B.C. But the Romans come along and they perfected the art of killing people. And they wanted it to be as excruciating and to last as long as it possibly could. And they got good at killing people on a cross. And so the night Jesus was crucified, he was led to this place called the Skull. In Aramaic, that's Golgotha. In Latin, that's Calvaria, which is where we get our term Calvary. And the reason they called it the skull is because it was likely a, a sort of tall hill, like someone's forehead, the top portion of the skull. Because the Romans always wanted to make a spectacle of the person that they were killing. They wanted them high and lifted up so everybody could see what was going on. 
And so as we think about the symbol of the cross, I want you to see for the Romans, the cross symbolized power. And they wanted everyone to know that if you defy Rome, that this is what's going to happen to you. And so the Romans said, we're in control, we call the shots, we determine your fate, don't step out of line, don't cause problems, or you'll get this too. And so they wanted it for everyone to be able to see it. Now for the Jewish religious leaders, the cross symbolized convenience. Because for the past three years or so, Jesus made their lives miserable. Because the religious leaders had turned what God desired to be a means of having a relationship, they turned the Old Testament law into a system of works. They turned it into a way of status and wealth for themselves. And I think that should serve as a reminder for those of us that, that come to church as we, as we think about the reason that we are here. Now, what does the cross symbolize to the world? Well, if you ask 12 different people, hey, what does the cross mean to you? You might get 12 different answers. Because the cross means a lot of things to a lot of people. For some people, it's simply just a piece of jewelry. You know, I get inquisitive sometimes. I'll see people with a piece of jewelry on. Sometimes it's a cross. Sometimes it's something else that I recognize. And I say, hey, tell me about your jewelry. And sometimes if they're wearing a cross, they'll just say, oh, it's just a piece of jewelry. It doesn't really mean much to me. So for some people, it's just, just a symbol that they like the way it looks. For some, they will put it next to the star of David or Islam's crescent and star or the yin and yang of Taoism. And they'll say this, the cross is just another symbol in this series of world religions that represents a single way to God. In other words, all the religions of the world are valid. That it's just one big mountain and we're trying to march to the top, to the peak, different ways. And at the top, God is there. You've probably seen those coexist bumper stickers where it has all the religious symbols of the world. And the idea is that we are all headed to God. It doesn't matter which path you choose. The problem with that, however, is that different religions make different claims and they contradict with one another. And so they both can't be true. They can't both be true. All religions can't be true. And in fact, Jesus would say it this way in John 14, 6. He would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus exclaims that if you want access to God, it is exclusively through this narrow route of Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to the symbol of the cross, some see the cross as just this high ideal. Often today it's referred to as progressive Christianity, that the cross is just the picture, the utmost, highest picture of sacrifice, of love for your fellow man. That Jesus wasn't actually God, that he didn't actually die on the cross perhaps to save us from hell. But the cross symbolizes just this high ideal of living sacrificially, something we should all aspire to be. Then there are some that see the cross as oppressive. Karl Marx saw Christianity as a means of suppressing and oppressing people. Now we look at these different symbols of the cross to know this, that everyone must make sense of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. And just like you can't miss it in the middle of our stage, we've been having to kind of work around it. In life, we come to the place in our journey where we have to ask, what do we do with the cross and the man who hung in the middle? Now, let me ask you this. 
I want us to consider what does the cross really symbolize? Well, to me, the cross symbolizes two things. Number one, I think it symbolizes death. The cross represents death. It has always represented death. It still represents death. And in fact, the Romans near AD 70, they would kill so many people by crucifixion that they ran out of lumber. It's always been a symbol of death. And as you stare at this large cross, it should serve to remind you that your day is coming. That the mortality rate is 100%. That death lurks in the shadows. And there is no cloak of invisibility that can hide you long enough from its long shadowy arm. Let me say this too. If God is not real, and if 2,000 years ago Christ did not hang on a cross to be able to forgive us of our sins, this life is all you get. And maybe you get 100 years. And let me say, it goes by in a blink. But if God's not there, if Jesus didn't die for our sins, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15 that our faith's in vain. And let me say, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you make every history book. We know this, that one day the sun's going to grow dark. The planets are going to drift apart. The universe is going to become cold and everything will turn into space dust. Every monument you have built will be obliterated. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die. The cross represents death. And it reminds us that one day we will die too. However, on the other side of that, the cross also represents life. Now, how can that be that a symbol can represent both life and death? It's only because who hung on that cross? One man 2,000 years ago, a man who was also God. We know his name to be Jesus. And because he was fully man and fully God, that is to say he was divine, but he assumes human nature. Because of that, he did what no, man, no other man could do. And that was he lived a sinless life and that he could die in our place and that through his death, we could have life. And so in the humiliation of Jesus, we are offered life in Christ, forgiveness of sins, erasure of guilt, grace, mercy, and peace all through Jesus. And it's why as a Christian, today... We celebrate the cross, even though it represents death. We know that through that death, we have life. Now, as we work through the rest of our text together, Luke 23, verse 32, I want you to notice that we see different responses to Jesus and what he did on the cross. Let's look at it. Uh, Luke uh, Luke 23, verse 32. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? 
There was this inscription over him that said, this is the king of the Jews. Now, I want you to notice the different responses to Jesus and what he did on the cross. First of all, there's the crowds. Verse 35, the people stood by watching. Now, who is this crowd? I find it interesting because not even a week ago, these are the same people that on Palm Sunday said, you know, glory to God in the highest. They acknowledged him as Messiah just a few days earlier. And now they're standing at the foot of the cross saying, crucify. Let me remind you that people's hearts are fickle things. That the crowds were easily led by emotion. And that we have to be very, very careful that our lives are not driven by emotion. That we have access to God's word and we have to read it in truth and not let us be guided by emotions. So there's the crowd. There's also the religious leaders. Verse 35, it says, and they scoffed at him. You saved others, why don't you save yourself? Because for the past three years, Jesus had made their lives miserable. Now, these were the people that should have known. They read the Old Testament text. They studied God's law. They were looking for a Messiah, but Jesus didn't fit the bill. And in fact, they had turned religion into something that served themselves instead of it being something that served God. I think it should be a reminder for us Christians Is our Christianity us serving God, or do we make it into God serving us? Then there were the soldiers. What did they do? Verse 36, they also mocked him, coming up with sour wine. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourselves. The soldiers were not much different than the religious elite. They saw in Jesus' weakness. They saw a man hanging on the cross as the epitome of weakness. But what do we know? We know that Jesus was the most dangerous man to ever walk the face of this earth. Because all he had to do is speak it and things happen. Jesus could have come off the cross. He could have smited everyone there. But instead, in a picture of humility, that is power under control, Jesus hung on the cross. And in fact, in verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that leads us to this pair of thieves that hung on his right and hung on his left. Look at verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, hurling insults, saying, are you not the Christ? Then save yourself. Save us too. Now, this isn't really a plea of salvation. This is just this thief hurling insults at Christ. You know, and it reminds me that sometimes you can even say the right things but your heart be far from God. And so Jesus hangs. He's the middle man. There's a thief on his left and a thief on his right. And Scripture says they're both hurling insults. Luke doesn't record it, but Matthew and Mark do, that both thieves initially are just harassing and mocking Jesus. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the cross? Then save yourself and us. You see, the thief... Just like the soldiers saw Jesus as powerless. But we know truly that Jesus, in his power, remained on the cross willfully and would die for all the people that stand around him, mocking him. And so in this horrifying scene of Jesus laying down his life on the cross, you have the crowds, you have the religious elite, you have the soldiers, you have this pair of criminals hanging to his left and his right and here is where the unexpected happens and it's here that we see this last 
minute breakthrough. Look at verse 40 with me. It says, but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And so the other thief has this this moment of clarity where he calls out the other thief on the other side of Jesus and says, hey, do you not fear God since we're under the same sentence of condemnation? Now, he sees the big picture. And I want you to see just sort of this mental process of this second thief. First of all, he sees this, that he has a fear of God. The second thief has a fear of who God is. That, that is to say that God is not your buddy. Now, Scripture does say that we can call him friend. But God isn't just our chum or our pal. When I was in high school, there was these shirts you could buy with Jesus giving the thumbs up, and it said, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus isn't your homeboy. Jesus is God. God is high and mighty and lifted up. He is other and holy. He's to be respected. He's not safe, but thank goodness that he is good and kind, full of mercy and grace. So the thief recognizes, first of all, that God is to be feared. Both of these thieves know they're about to die. But the second one understands this, that his greatest concern in this moment is not his crucifixion, which that, I would be front and center in my mind if I was hanging on a cross. But the second thief realizes his biggest concern is not his immediate death. His biggest concern is that he's going to fall under God's judgment after he breathes his last breath and exits this world. And so this second thief fears God. Proverbs says this, that fear is the beginning of wisdom. That is, if we would seek wisdom, it begins with a healthy fear, reverence, and awe of who God is. Verse 41. He says, and we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due rewards of our deeds. And so the second thief recognizes his own sin. He knows that the reason he's on the cross is because he has made decisions that have brought him to this moment. He understands that he's done the crime, so now he is doing the time. He understands the reason he is hanging there dying is because of his own sin. And that's how it is for all of us. The reason we die is because we sin. And this thief, he doesn't try to blame someone else. He doesn't say, well, you know what, this isn't my fault. It's the way my parents brought me up. Or it's the influences that I had in society. He gets that the reason he hangs on this cross is because of the choices he has made. And let me tell you, church, my sin is my sin. The devil doesn't make me do it. You don't make me do it. My parents didn't make me do it. Influences didn't make me do it. A corrupt society didn't make me do it. The reason I sin is because I have wanted to sin, and it's a result of my own choices. And until we realize that the problem is us, we can't seek a solution. The thief gets that he's a sinner. Verse 41. He says, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, pointing to Jesus, this man has done nothing wrong. And so he recognized the injustice of Jesus' death. Now, it may be a stretch to say that this thief had the awareness that Jesus lived a sinless life. But at the very least, he recognized that Jesus did not deserve to be killed. He saw the injustice here. The thief understood that his execution was well-deserved, but that Jesus was not. And we have to understand this as well. Jesus died not because he deserved it, but he died because we deserve it. Jesus didn't die because he deserved it. Jesus died because we deserved it. That is to say, Christ died in my 
place, that he hung naked on a tree to cover my sinful nakedness. Verse 42, and he said, this thief looks at Jesus moments before he's going to die, perhaps in hours. Verse 42, and he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This thief looks to Jesus as Savior. He understands that salvation is not from death, that it is through death. The thief in that moment realized that his salvation wouldn't come from death, him getting down off this cross, that his salvation would come through death, the death of Christ. As Jesus and this thief hang there dying, victory was not Jesus coming down. Victory was Jesus dying on the cross. Salvation is not from death. It's through death. Because we know this, it's appointed unto all of us. We're going to die eventually. And we will not be saved from death in this life. But we can be saved through the death of this perfect, spotless lamb. This man that we call and know as Jesus. Let's continue on. Look at our story. Verse 43. And Jesus says to the thief, Truly, I say to you that today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, Jesus responds to this man's faith and says, yes, you can come. Yes, I will make a place for you. And I want to remind us this morning that Christ will do the same thing for us. Now, as we close out with just minutes to remain, let's talk about the man in the middle. That Jesus, the man, the God, hangs between these two thieves. And in this moment of Jesus in the middle, a thief to his right, a thief to his left, we see this tension that is stretched out. And that really when it boils down to it, you have two options. One thief rejects God, that's one option. The other thief accepts Christ as Savior. That's really the only options that you get. And the thing is, we have to come to Jesus on his terms and not our own. There are only two options. You accept him as Messiah, Savior, and Lord, or you choose to reject that. The cross will land in everyone's path, and we have to decide how to respond. Will we trust who Jesus says he is? Will we trust that he is the Savior? Will we trust that he died on the cross for our sins? Are we willing to admit that we are, in fact, sinners and we can't do it on our own and humble ourselves at the foot of the cross? Will we trust him and confess him as Lord? Will we repent of our sins? This thief, in this last-minute breakthrough, teaches us a lot. That This thief wasn't a good man because the Bible says none of us are. That this thief, he wasn't affiliated with any denomination, any church. That this thief was never baptized. He had no time to do any good works because none of that saves a person. But as Alistair Begg says, the thief would say, the man in the middle said I could come. The man in the middle said I could come and he is with Christ in paradise. And I want to remind you this morning that the man, the God man, Jesus Christ, who hung in the middle of these two thieves, bids you to come as well. But make no mistake, the only way to God is through the man in the middle. Jesus, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That salvation is not from death, that it is through death. 
you know, the cross pointed to the power of Rome. But the reason we're here this morning is that the empty tomb points to the power of God. And that through the cross and the grave and the empty tomb, that God has made a way for us to know him, to be forgiven of our sins, to enjoy God in the present and into the future forevermore. And so I ask you this morning, how will you respond to the cross? How will you respond to this man who hung in the middle? Will you make him Lord of your life because he bids you to come? Or will you choose to say no thanks? Or maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer. But you know, your life has gotten to a place to where you're living for yourself, to where you don't confess your sins to God anymore. And you are just a long ways from Jesus. Maybe today what God is doing in your life is he's applying a little pressure and saying, I want you to come back. I want you to repent that we might have close fellowship once again. Maybe today he's calling you to bring your sins or maybe it's burdens and he's asking you to leave those at the foot of the cross. Because I know this. Our lives will never be what they're supposed to be. Our lives will not make sense. We will be chasing the wrong things until we are close to God himself. And the wonderful thing is there's nothing we could ever do that can keep us separated from the love of God. And so today, if you don't know Christ, let's talk about how you can become a follower of Jesus. Today, if you need to repent and get close to Christ again, what are you waiting on? Or maybe today you have just been carrying a burden of sorrow, of difficulty, whatever that looks like. I want to remind you that Jesus is able to shoulder the weight of whatever burdens you carry, but you've got to bring them to the foot of the cross. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you thankful for many things, God. One, we're thankful that we can be here worshiping together. God, we're thankful for family and friends and people that you put in our lives to encourage us, to remind us that we are loved. But God, today we assemble to celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your Son. That through what your Son did on the cross, through the agonizing hours spread out on a cross, that through him we can have life, have it everlasting, and as your word says, that we can have it to the fullest. God, we praise you. But God, would you remind us that while becoming a Christian is simple, living as a follower and disciple is costly. That taking up our cross is a challenge. But Lord, would you encourage us to follow you every step of the way, to be who we're supposed to be. Lord, we want you to know that we love you. Lord, today we are, don't have words that can aptly say how much we're thankful for your love. But God, today we celebrate, and tomorrow we'll celebrate, and we'll celebrate throughout the year until Easter comes back around. But God, thank you so much. We give you all honor and glory and praise. Thank you for dying for us, that through your death, we can have life. Lord, we love you. Be with us 
All these things we pray in your name. Amen.